0: welcome to fiat lex a podcast about dictionaries by people who write dictionaries i'm Corey stamper i'm steve kleinidler
1: and hey everybody hi so let's start with actually a comment that we got on uh, on the gmails Ooh. about our logo
0: oh yes so <laughs>
1: someone asked what our logo was and why we chose our logo steve do you want to talk about our logo since you're the phonologist here
0: well i will talk the the, the logo is just the ipa representation of the sound ugh, that i make all the time more or less a, a schwa followed by uh the the velar fricative um so You'll hear me in real life and probably on the podcast several times. Just do this kind of, ugh, ugh. This Jeff Winger, ugh. Um,
1: <laughs> so that's why that's what our logo is. It is the nerd approximation of ugh.
0: Yeah, it it kind of sums up a lot of. Um, oh, speaking of ugh, uh, a very ugh thing was. Uh, well, I'll, I'll 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 broach the conversation this way, uh, Corey. I have an existential question for you.
1: Oh, lord. <laughs> Lay it on me, Steve. I've got coffee.
0: Yes. Uh, can can nanometers be inchoate?
1: Oh. oh uh,
0: no, because they're no. discreet. But <laughs>
1: that was just to point out um,
0: just some of the words that we've botched on this podcast and for which we apologize. Sort of only a little bit. A little bit. We consistently said nanometer throughout the last...
1: We did, but it works really well with the monomena Yes, the, the joke That's that why. worked. So it worked with the joke. Speaking of nerdy...
0: Yes. Today's topic. Oh my gosh, it is so nerdy. Uh, Today we are going to talk about uh, end of line dots, uh, the (laughs) dots in head words, (laughs) syllabification.
1: Yes. So this is a question that we get all the time. Uh,
0: The question being, what the hell are they? What
1: what are they? Because people assume that those dots, I mean, they're
0: there for a reason. They are there for a reason. But
1: most people uh, don't know... What reason that is? They make the wrong assumption about what that is. So,
0: oh, although if you turn to the front matter, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there will be an explanation.
1: Again, read the front matter. We should just do a whole podcast where we read front matter.
0: Um, I uh, a it'll very... be
1: like slow podcast. It'll be like the Norwegian Yule log TV version. Oh of...
0: boy, yeah, we'll do that for a special <laughs> phone in thing or or get one of those auto recorder voices to intone oh, the front matter. There we go. Um, They have a specific reason, because once upon a time before there were word processors that automatically break the ends of words that you have to do across lines for you, (laughs) uh, you had to know where does the hyphen go when you break a word across a line.
1: Yeah. So that's what those dots are. Those dots don't necessarily mark where the syllable breaks are. They mark where you can put a hyphen.
0: Sometimes they mark where uh, the syllable breaks are. And those types of breaks are phonological breaks, but sometimes they come at um, word morpheme boundaries, uh, and those are morphological breaks.
1: So the reason that Steve is saying this is because Steve is probably, I mean... Steve's basically the expert in end-of-line dots. Do you want to tell tell our listeners, uh, Steve, how you ended up becoming the expert in end-of-line dots?
0: Right, and I will also uh, explain that difference between phonological and morphological breaks and to point out, and we'll get into this, uh, how different style books and different dictionaries make different choices as to which words <laughs> are broken by sound versus form. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot going on. There is uh, a lot going on. It happened when I started... Started in 1997 at the American Heritage Dictionary Mm -hmm. Um, as an associate editor. My boss came to me and said, hey, there are a few mistakes in our uh, syllabified syllabifications. We don't know where they are. We would like you to analyze thousands of words and determine where the mistakes are, of which there are only a few. Oh, God. (laughs) And they asked that of sounds me,
1: like lexicography, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And they asked that of me because I had had a bunch of phonology and phonetics classes at uh, the University of Chicago. And so I said, sure. And so for the next several months, uh, I had massive... Some of this I did in Excel. Some of it I did on paper. Wow. Um, uh, looking at a, a lot of suffixes, like... Able and mm-hmm. meant and just uh, 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 ish and those kinds of things. Looking at all the words, seeing where they were broken, looking for patterns, mm-hmm. knowing that there would be some false data, uh, and through that I internalized what the rules were. And I, twenty years later, I did a presentation at the Aces, the Society for Editing conference I did a 75 minute talk on syllabification people came to this talk and willingly willingly <laughs> and several times in the talk I apologized for the utter dryness of the talk and they're like no no this is fascinating go on it was it, it completely boggled my mind
1: yeah but that I think that's I mean that's something that seems pretty normal though in lexicography right like there's these dry things that you always have one group of people who are like this is actually this is my stock and trade figuring out where to break a word. Right. So it's great to hear it.
0: So there, there are some basic rules, um, and when you have a suffix that attaches to the end of a word, uh, like ubble, able, able, uh, you can before it, if if the break comes right before the able, that could be a morphological break, um, or. What happens is if a word ends in a consonant cluster, two consonants together, like the word record, Mm -hmm. ends in RD, consonant cluster, you add an ubble, so you get the word recordable, do you break... Add an yeah. Do you do you break between the R and the D, which would be the phonological break? Or do you break uh. between the D and the A, which would be the, morph, uh, the morphological break? The answer is it depends on the dictionary <laughs> that you use. Some dictionaries break uble morphologically. Others break it phonologically. For the bulk of the words, all the major American companies do it the same way. For certain sets of suffixes, Everyone does it the same way for other sets. Different companies do different ways. And then there are these pairings where, say, Random House would do it one way and Merriam-Webster another and American Heritage might do one or the other and Webster's New World. I mean, it's it's, it's all very fascinating. And there are, you can have a list of rules for right. any particular book. For these suffixes, break this way. For right. these words, break this way. Uh, so
1: we actually, so someone commented on Twitter. This is from Snitty. On Twitter whom I know oh there you go yes the question of mine oh yay yay snitty Uh, why is it okay to do a line break after the first R in sarsaparilla 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 it makes no logical sense
0: first off so many things in lexicography uh, and and studying English can be summed by saying logic doesn't come into play
1: (laughs) nothing makes logical sense (laughs)
0: language is not logical it's not. It's not. No. Um If it were, we'd all be using Monogovian semantics, where what everything. What the hell are
1: Montagovian semantics? Uh, semantics. Yeah. Montagovian semantics. The,
0: the, the, the semantics promulgated by Montague. I forget his first name. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it's very logical operator if then. You know, in a world that where where <laughs> where there are logical operators that have precise meanings. Okay. Um, it's it's a study of semantics that I barely had contact with, but now <laughs> just enough to talk about. Uh, well it that sounds it really
1: it sounds really impressive. We'll get him on
0: we'll get a semanticist on someday. Oh yeah. That'll be
1: That'll be that'll be a thing that happens. Uh,
0: but to go back to Sniddy's question, um, in this case, it's, there's a very simple answer. This would be um, an etymological artifact. Uh, the fact that uh, the English word *sarsaparilla* comes from uh, Spanish *zarzaparilla*, uh, the *zarza* z-a-r-z-a, uh, uh, meaning bramble, and in mm. that case, you'd break between the *r* and the *z*, so it just carried over. The rules that dictated where these breaks occur come to us from people who used to set these words in type back in the days of printing presses. And I know Corey has unearthed some very cool things. She this has is, not yes. told me about this yet. Yes. I'm very This'll excited be, to hear. Yeah.
1: So, so you are right, but where do those people, how did those people make those decisions? Because I can guarantee you that people who used to set type probably were not philologists or... Certainly not semanticists.
0: So do we need to explain the concept of setting type first? Oh, yeah, we
1: probably should actually, because it's a thing that doesn't really happen much anymore. So in the olden days, back when you had um, these printing presses that were hand you know, they were hand cranked, even mechanical presses, you would have to actually take slugs that had been metal slugs that had each letter, impressed on it, or embossed on it, embossed on it, embossed on it, raised, it was raised type, you'd have to take these things, and you'd have to manually set them in a plate. And if and they were set, you couldn't, you know, it wasn't like in Word where you can just say, ah, this doesn't quite, you know, I don't have four pages for you, teacher, so I'm going to set this an 18-point font. You can't do that. These are all preset. And they did have different sizes, but you don't want to change sizes mid-word. And- Sometimes
0: they would in between printings if they had to force in more information if you look at old books sometimes you'll see sections that are set off in smaller or larger uh, type and all these little pieces individual letters uh were kept in uh cases Mm -hmm. uh the for example in a font family uh the uppercase letters were literally in a case (laughs) that was above the lowercase case and
1: that's how you get uppercase and lowercase so anyway, you would have to set these things. And that meant that if you ran out of room on your actual rack where you were where you were setting the type, you'd have to figure out where to break that word because you could not physically fit any more space on that. That's what setting type is. So this is amazing to me. So dictionaries have not always put end of line dots in the headwords. And in fact, dictionaries didn't show syllabification for a while because who needs it? Who cares? Well, here's the thing. This is amazing to me. I found the source for all of our, I would say, pretty modern end of line breaks in a book from 1705, I believe it is, by John Jones. It's called The New Art of Spelling. So this was really popular in the 1700s. There were these letter-writing guides, and, and the idea was this is a guide to help you, a slob. Actually, it's helped me. People like me, people who are not upper class, did not have a ton of education.
0: People who can't pronounce inchoate.
1: People who can't pronounce nanometer, things like that. Uh, it is up to—these are letter-writing guides to help us be elegant. And there is this guide, The New Art of Spelling. Which has an entire chapter. The chapter title is chapter five shows how to divide words at the end of a line or upon any occasion. This is seven this is the early seventeen
0: hundreds. This is like major this This is is a major discovery that Corey has discovered that should be... Can't
1: you tell because my voice has gone up about an octave in pitch? I'm so excited about this. This
0: will be cited in papers. That's right. We, we'll have to do like a... That's Cory with an, a K. MLA, yeah, yeah. an MLA style <laughs> how to attribute this podcast.
1: So, so going back into the 1600s, there were notes in other, you know, letter writing guides or other grammars about what hyphens did, and they said that hyphens could divide words. So the idea that you divide a word... Using a hyphen is not a new thing. That goes back to the 1600s. But this is the first instance I found that gives you extensive notes as to where and how. So it begins, division should follow composition because things are to be divided or dissolved as compounded or constituted. Therefore, I place division here. He goes on, division is a due distribution of words into syllabical parts when need requires. And this chapter goes on four, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like it goes on really, really long. So, so Steve, let me just read one of his rules. Okay. And you tell me, uh, you tell me if this would hold for today. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to start with the division of simple words. Uh, is a due distribution thereof into the syllables they consist of. Therefore, you must always divide where the sound of a syllable ends, as in a ba mi na bull, and etc.
0: Yes, uh, the, 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 the rules have progressed from that, but that is the kernel. That's the core. That okay. the kernel of the...
1: All right, here's the next one. One, when the sound of a syllable ends at a vowel, you can never err, uh, err, uh, If you divide the word immediately after that vowel, neither in compound nor simple words, except there are two vowels together and the last silent, as in endeavor, broken after the A, of which the dialogue must inform you.
0: I say er, but er is also correct. (laughs) And I only bring that up because she looked at me when she said er. I did. "Er." I said
1: er, er, er. They're both correct. All right.
0: I'm sorry. I, I hyper corrected. Okay. No, no, no. They're both correct.
1: Okay. There we go. Okay. So he says you divide when the sound of a syllable ends in a vowel. You can divide immediately after the vowel, except when there are two vowels together and the last is silent, then you divide after the second vowel. Mm-hmm. Yes?
0: Well, yeah, in that, that here's where orthography comes into play, because English is written, uh, uh, unlike a lot of romance languages where all the vowels have these neat sounds. You know, you've got, you know, the, the, the sound E or A can be spelt 15 different ways, depending on which random vowel combination you're using. But yes, right. what he's saying is correct.
1: So that's vowels. Okay, here's another rule. When there is but one consonant between vowels, it goes always with the latter vowel in division as in do mi ni un dominion, except compounds when the former part or vowel brought the consonant with it is in abuse, misuse, etc. And that x always goes with the former vowel as in ax l ax is. That's yes.
0: It's, okay. Yeah, yeah. This is a fantastic I
1: should have found this, you know, whatever, 25 years ago
0: and uh, sent it to you. <laughs> you could you could write a paper and uh submit this to dictionaries. Uh it's worth bringing to the general world. Uh people would be fascinated by this. I'm
1: fascinated. I mean, I don't people very narrowly defined would we be fascinated by this. We should send it to Enid. This. Oh, Enid Pearson's who was the is, is was yeah. she is but she was is, she still is, but occupationally was at uh, the Random House Dictionary for a long time, right? Yes,
0: and is was extremely influential on these systems as they developed in the 60s. Yeah.
1: So here's the thing. So this is, so this, you know, 1705 book, um, I think it's 1705. I'm going to say it's 1705. It's either 1702 or 1705. This book lays out in very, very, very fine-grained detail how you divide words. Now, the kicker is, is that dictionaries didn't actually start dividing words. And usually just to they started by showing stress marks to show you where to put the stress in a word. That's not end of line division. That's pronunciation. And then it really wasn't until the mid 1800s that they started breaking words. I think the 1847 Webster's did. I know the 1860 uh, dictionary by Joseph Worcester was it showed comprehensive line breaks uh so so the thing is is this sat around in some drawer for you know 150 years before anyone actually started implementing any of it
0: yep there you go that's a, a, this 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 book will give you all the information you need <laughs> So when we bring come to modern days now that we have computers uh breaking oh and I should point out I as I have literally looked at hundreds of thousands, if not millions of ends of lines over the past oh, yeah. 21 years on um, both the left and right margin to see if words break properly. And people think, like, well, can't get a computer to do that? Well, you can get them to go most of the way, but not the final miles. Yeah. Someone has to check every margin end of a dictionary. You take a word like R-E-C-O-R-D as a noun, it's- It um, breaks
1: in one place. Yes. Uh, yeah. Record
0: after the C, but as a verb, record, it breaks between the E and the C. Uh, right. So you need, a editor, you need an editor to check- End of line breaks. Yeah,
1: I did that when I – I think that was actually one of my first tasks, my first proofreading tasks was uh, I was asked to check the end of line breaks in one of our mass market dictionaries, which, you know, you think, oh, the mass market dictionary, it's not really that long – well, you know, it's still however many 600 pages of end of line
0: breaks. I've and done I've done a 2200 page book twice. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and the only way I could stay sane through it was I actually created found poetry using the end of line break syllables. I was like, "Oh, this will at least be something to do besides silently and quietly lose my mind."
0: So, aside from editors like us who need to do this in yeah. books, um, is there any reason to keep the syllable dots in headwords and dictionaries anymore?
1: Yeah, point
0: counterpoint. Wait, point what's, counterpoint.
1: What? What's your make your point? Make your point, Steve. Eh. Eh.
0: In print, they take up space, and you need to explain them. I, I personally would probably keep them for adult dictionaries. We've at, at the American Heritage Dictionary, um, we've started removing them from some of the juvenile dictionaries, right? Um, because they just kind of get in the way. They're still in the adult ones, though. Yeah,
1: that makes sense. So you, so you're kind of, eh, leaning to
0: take them out. Take them out unless there's an absolute reason to keep them. Okay. It, it confuses people.
1: Okay, I would say. No, there are people that still use them. Editors still use them. Even, we just said, you know, even though there are programs that will break things, you still have to look for bad breaks, which would be a great na- I think every name, editor, the bad breaks.
0: <laughs> I think every editor should uh, spend three months analyzing the language like I did. That way they will have <laughs> the rules internalized That's and then true. they'll just know.
1: Yeah. But I would also say, I have to say, our intrepid engineer, Josh is also my husband, so I know a lot about our intrepid engineer, and he's a composer. And he says, I asked him at one point, I was like, what do you think of this? You know, waste of space, what? And he actually uses the end of line breaks a lot when you're setting text to music. He said, so let's take the word English, which our dictionaries differ on where to break that. And he says, look, if if I'm putting the word English to music, and it spans, you know, two whole measures of music. I can't just print the word English under one note and expect people to articulate it correctly over the rest of the notes. You have to break it. So if you break it at the N-english, then, you know, that communicates that to singers that they're going to hold on to the initial vowel English would be a
0: horrible note Lyric. To, to, to extend for eight bars. <laughs> English but if you break it at
1: the G yeah then people hold on to the the nasal English
0: that that's a song I want to hear
1: English yeah, we could we could ask him to compose it or He is get, taking commissions if anyone wants a really
0: get Mariah Carey to see how many measures she can extend it
1: <laughs> on a high D that yes. yeah, works yeah so I say and get, on that note
0: yeah. <laughs> a high D specifically
1: So a little bit of housekeeping. If you like this uh, ridiculous podcast or you're a fan of end of line breaks for whatever reason, uh, head over to iTunes. Give us a favorable rating. It just makes us feel good about ourselves, really. And that's the thing that you should do for lexicographers everywhere is make them feel good about the work they do.
0: And on our Twitter site, check out the links on the side. Uh, Corey's written a book called Word by Word.
1: And Steve has written a book called Is English Changing? If you are interested in knowing more about phonology, morphology, Semantics. You got to get Steve's book. It's very, very easy to read. I, you know, we say it's an intro to linguistics, and half the people go, Oh my God, no. But it's a really fab. It's a fabulous book. And
0: and Corey's book is very much fun to read, and it's number one on a bunch of lists. So don't, don't, don't be left
1: out. Best selling book in the uh, genre of lexicography, of which there are three books.
0: Wait, wait, (laughs) isn't it, isn't the genre also, isn't there, it's the best selling book also in lexicography, colon humor.
1: Oh, yeah. Of which there is one book. I am the only one in that genre. Therefore, I am the bestseller.
0: Anyway. Anyway. Thank you for listening.
1: Yeah. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.